What's up all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart coming to you through the digital airwaves, into your phone, into your laptop, into your earbuds, however you're listening to this. How y'all doing out there? I am happy that February is almost over. Never really quite been able to get the hang of this month. I feel like something about the 28 days uh, always is kind of hard for me to uh, to lock in on. And I feel like uh, the, you know, it's kind of this time of the year where you're, you're two months in and you, you start to have to take account of of those uh delightful things we call new year's resolutions. How are those all working for you guys out there? I feel like this month is when you really start to feel uh, whether or not you've been able to to dig in the the holidays are far enough away, the year years getting started and uh yeah, I'm just not a big February guy, so looking forward to March as we march on. Um but yeah, my uh, my guest today, I've really I'm really excited to have on. Been wanting to get him on for a while. Um, his name is Mickey Darius. I met Mickey working at a company called Ticket Fly uh, back in the mid the mid twenty teens, and uh, we uh, we became friends. and And I always thought he was just like a a super cool, unique individual really passionate about music. Um, I remember he had a, a really sweet dog and a massive record collection. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as time passed, we, uh, you know, I left the company. We haven't really talked in years, but, but then I bumped into him at a monophonics show in Oakland a couple months ago and we started chatting briefly and I invited him on the podcast and, he was so generous with his time and and uh, and happy to come on. So, um, Mickey has is the founder of Broken Clover Records, a small independent record label here in the Bay Area, and uh, has really just um, taken a big swing at, at creating a label. And I was super interested to learn about what that process was like and what his story was. Uh, in 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 engaging on this this huge endeavor and um you know through the conversation it became really clear to me that mickey really cares about the artists on his label and really cares about music and the music that these that these individuals are making and uh you know that just kind of comes through uh through his words and um it's a very eclectic mix of different types of music and um, you guys should all go and check it out broken broken clover records um yeah so we get into it and uh if you ever wanted to know what what it takes to start a label and what the process is like then uh you know this this is full of all of that so without further ado let me introduce to you mickey darius on this episode 47 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise.
Mickey. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, buddy. Welcome to the Bartcast. Yeah. I'd say good to be here, or good to have me on, the, but we're in my house. It's, like, it's good for me to be here. <laughs> thanks for having me on your show in my house. Yeah, the, yeah, the door-to-door podcasting <laughs> service here. I'm going to open I've never had a apricot LaCroix before. Oh, I'm glad that we can, uh, can expand your horizons here. It's not bad. That's not bad. It tastes like peach, almost. The stone fruits don't, uh, <sighs> not a ton. Hold on. This, what are you sipping on right there? Got a little non-alcoholic beer from uh, Athletic Brewing Company out of, uh, I think they're out of Boston. Okay. Or Connecticut, maybe. Somewhere East Coast. Nice. But yeah. Nice little N.A. beverage. All the flavor. None of the buzz. With, it's, <laughs> the, it's more, yeah, none of the, or all the flavor without the swath of destruction behind me. There you go. Without looking behind me and, like, hearing sirens and seeing smoke and flames. The, so... Yeah, the five a.m. wake p- panic wake up. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it's doing everybody else a favor. That's one of my favorite terms. I feel like I learned while traveling. Uh, one of my Scottish friends, I guess you know that. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you, like, after a night of drinking, when you wake up at like five a.m. and you just have like severe anxiety. Panic yeah, or... I. That's. I mean, that's. <laughs> what what I lived with for a long time and part of why I quit drinking. Yeah. Um, the just became like a permanent state that I lived in, it felt like. Um yeah. Waking up at four and doing that, waking up at five and doing it mm-hmm. and uh, Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I got too much other shit to be anxious about. Yeah, the the Scottish or my Scottish friend at least, I guess they call it the horrors. Which I think is a pretty apt yeah, description. Yeah, that is that is real accurate. <laughs> yeah, real accurate. That'll that'll get you to to rethink rethink <laughs> things. You know, you do that. It's amazing to me the people that are, you know, that are able to continue through that. You know, where that becomes part of their accepted reality or, or normal norm, normality or whatnot. Yeah, man. I mean, I can, You know, I can only. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, certainly, you know, it was, you grind through it until one day you're like, oh, fuck, I can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or just don't want to or any of that. But, uh, it certainly was a lot of posturing and like <laughs> denial and like waking up extra early to be like, no, 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 I, I can do this. Right. Like be the first person at work, this mm-hmm. and that, even though I still reek like a bar yeah. and, you know, uh, and it does not help that, uh, you know, the industry that I've, or the industry, that's a very loose term, but the, many of the jobs that I've found my in, myself in are at least accepting of a very uh, high alcohol or like high party environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some instances, promote it. Right. Um, and so it, uh, it made for a really fun 20s and 30s. Um, but it also did not necessarily do me any favors. <laughs> um, and I'm, that's not to be, you know, put blame on anybody, but just, you know, a lot of the choices, you know, it was just so like, you know, working in bars, working in clubs, being a DJ, working, mm-hmm. you know, around venues, working, you know, just all these things around music and entertainment. And, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's easy to fall into that stuff. So it, it, just, it's amazing how much, even in like, an office job 
how how important drinking is to like company culture like i remember even working it because we met working at ticket fly yeah all those years ago and it was like there'd be a couple different happy hour events in the week and there was always people like you know you work hard all week and then friday you turn up and if you're trying to abstain from those practices too you're losing out on a big part of the social culture not only losing out on it frequently there's like oh like why aren't you joining us and like so you either have to you know say no you know create your or you know create this role as an outsider Mm -hmm. and have to like justify it as opposed to them like justifying their side of the thing it's like they're setting the bar and you're having to acclimate to that as opposed to you know someone that's maybe whether or not you just don't drink Mm -hmm. or just that's just not the vibe of like Work environment, you you know, in many environments, and it, you know, definitely felt a bit like that at Ticketfly. Um, not to throw anyone under the bus or anything, right. but like where the bar was set uh, at that, and so anything out of that, like you had to sort of explain that, as mm-hmm. opposed to being like, no, this is just like we're just here for work, and anything <laughs> about anything beyond that, yeah, we kind of explain why we're doing that, and you know, kind of a a flip flop, which at the time. I was super into because mm-hmm. I, you know, I was the, the, I got to drink at work right. and, you know, it was like that, you know, like that it was, uh, you know, between there and just many of the, the places that, that I've worked, you know, bars and clubs and, you know, being a DJ and these different environments, uh, when you're in it, it's awesome. Yeah. You're like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is great. Like, but again, okay, what, what was your role at Ticket Fly? Uh, I started out as customer support, um, but my background prior to that was very steeped in sales. Um, so pretty quickly I realized that I wanted to be doing more um, at the company. And, and that, that, you know, let me take a step back. Not at all to say that, you know, any role is more or less important. I mm-hmm. just realized I wanted to be doing different things there. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, so I branched out and was doing sales and then was doing uh, working with specifically with like music venues, but then kind of branched into like beer festivals and other things like that. Um, but yeah, but my role was with sales. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, like I, I think I left in 20, I want to say 2015. Might have been, yeah, 2015 because I... I think I started in 2013 and I was there for, so it might've been 2014, 20, 2014, 2015. Um, how much longer were you there after me? Were you there through the event, bright? So I left in 2017. Okay. Um, so it's like, right. as all the event, brights so like after the Pandora thing. And mm-hmm. then, you know, in the, around the event, bright thing. Um, my exit from ticket fly actually very, uh, appropriate for this was alcohol related. Mm. Um, you're familiar with the FlyCon events. Yeah. And it was at an event and again, an event where that kind of behavior is frequently like pushed until it then gets past where they, you know, right. <laughs> like do it, do it, do it. Oh, that went too far. But like, it's definitely like, you know, there's some gasoline and or we're going to put the matches over here. Just don't play with them together. Right. right. Um, you know, and I don't want to take away responsibility of any of the people there, mm-hmm. but maybe not the best environment to have like a bunch of work stuff really get done. Right. Um, but at any rate, at that event, 
let it get a little uh let it get a little or a lot loose <laughs> and uh yeah so that was my exit okay uh at ticket fly i think i remember at one of the company parties i got pretty sloshed because it was like at the independent and yeah open bar yeah i mean that, that and that, yeah that, i mean that was that was certainly <laughs> the, the the promoted culture uh, yeah. at, at the at the company i think i went up to the ceo and all of his friends and was just like what's up andrew like just you know i was i, I didn't get in any trouble but i was definitely like visibly drunk and like he would come and jam with us and stuff and it was like a a you know he was a personable guy but afterwards i was just kind of laughing at myself like you know i'm sure all his friends were like who's that dude you know (laughs) oh that's one of our operations support staff or whatever you know um so did did your departure from that coincide with you know, the, the work that you're doing today or was that, what was that process like moving from sales? Like how do we get you into, you know, this broken clover situation? You kind of like we were talking before we got uh tape running. It feels like almost everything I've been doing in my life has kind of been leading to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything has been a giant buffet table and I've just kind of been taking like, cool, take a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of experience from this. This applies to this. Um, Because I feel like I've done a bunch of different jobs. And, you know, to that end, very much including what I did at Ticketfly, I absolutely feel like that filled in a piece that I would not have been able to fill in elsewhere. Um, Just kind of the right combination of music and tech and seeing how those worlds work together and seeing the pains that venues have around ticketing. Um, I don't know. It it certainly lent itself a great deal to what I'm doing now. Um, and also to what I did right after. Um, so from, uh, ticket fly, I immediately went into working at the great American. Okay. Um, and then I love that place. That's like one of my favorite venues in the uh, area. It's, it is certainly one of my favorite ba- uh, favorite San Francisco venues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly one of. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I started working at the Great American, and let's see, what did I start doing from there? I keep thinking I'm going to go. Can I shut this door right here? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ponder away. How did that go? Shit. Oh, man, no, I'm flipping it. Oh, my God, that's crazy. So I was working at the Great American before uh, before Ticket Fly. I'm insane. So okay. after after uh, Ticket Fly, I started working with the Lost Church. I'm like, I know I was working with a venue. <laughs> so I started working with the Lost Church. Um, and so with the Lost Church, I initially had come in as... I kind of was initially working with them on more almost like a consultation kind of role just from my background with ticketing and from my background in just music kind of in general, throwing shows, working with other venues, kind of just helping the Lost Church start to develop some like operational things that were like sustainable uh, and scalable uh, as, as the venue grew. 
and then from that, I became their director of operations uh, and the and the GM there, and worked there for. I still work there, um, but worked there for quite a while. Um, the San Francisco venue, though, has since closed with mm. through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I work with the Lost Church, but just kind of at this point, kind of filling in gaps just until we because we did sign a new lease in a san francisco location um but it won't be up and running for another few months so kind of treading water with them right now um but then see working at the lost church for a little bit then i started working with a booking agency called leafy green and i worked there for a little bit um i do not have the ending there was not was not great. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love like uh, how, um, like the just the ways in which, uh, like creativity can be inspired to say what you just said. <laughs> like there's such a, a a spectrum of ways to say that. <laughs> it's great. The, yeah, I'm really trying to choose my words yeah, carefully yeah. because unlike the ticket fly situation mm-hmm. where I certainly feel like I had a lot, I certainly played my part in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, none of what I said earlier is really through like a, you know, crying in my beer or non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and like pointing the finger at someone else. Like I definitely see my involvement in that. Like nobody did that to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, what happened with Leafy Green, um, and I'll tell you off camera. Sure. Um, yeah. But that was definitely uh, something different. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, started working there. Made a lot of really good connections. Met a lot of really awesome people. And uh, about, I don't know, a few months into that, um, had started Broken Clover Records. So those two things were kind of going in tandem. Um, you know, actually, I take that. I think the first record for Broken Clover was actually in production when I started at Leafy Green, but it came out once I uh, was working at the agency. Okay. Um, and we, for the listeners out there, like we should probably just say what Broken oh. Clover Records is. And yeah, so uh, Broken Clover Records is my record label. Um, we've been around, technically uh, started in 2018, uh, but the first release came out on Valentine's Day, uh, so February 14th of 2019. Wow. Um, we actually put out a release every Valentine's Day. So you're about to have your three-year um, anniversary? Yep, we're just about to have our three-year anniversary, and uh, this year we will actually also be hitting our 20th release. Wow. Um, which I am, and it's going to be a record from uh, this band from Switzerland. This year we're hitting three continents. Um, as far as artists that are going to be uh, released on Broken Clover. So very excited about what's uh, what's ahead for this year. But yeah, Broken Clover is my record label. Where'd you get that name from? <laughs> it's, uh, so when I think of like Clover or like Fields of Clover, mm-hmm. I, I get this image of just like expansiveness and kind of limitless potential. And like one day when I was, I was, I don't even know what, I wasn't trying to think of a name of the label or anything. I just I think I was just kind of sitting there daydreaming or whatever mm-hmm. and kind of had this vision of just like this wide open field of clover and there's this like infinite potential and kind of innocence and just everything ahead. 
and just kind of I imagine this you know someone riding a horse just kind of plodding through and just seeing kind of everything ahead and then I kind of thought of the person riding the horse just kind of shoulders kind of hunched and sad (laughs) and like looking back and just seeing all the broken clover behind them and just like these like crushed dreams and just like I don't know it's kind of depressing (laughs) I like that though but uh just I don't know something between the like innocence and openness and potential and the on the other side of the spectrum or the you know the on the other end of the scales like looking behind and just seeing these like just a juxtaposition of like these like crushed dreams and like path of destruction and just whether it's sadness or I don't know I just was kind of seeing this mm-hmm. kind of duality and uh something about the broken clover just kind of stuck with me and wanting to be not that it's necessarily a label for sad music or for just for that, but being something that really can kind of plumb the depths, depths, <laughs> um, and be able to at least access that stuff that like, you know, really kind of nothing's off limits and people that wear their hearts on their sleeves and, you know, express express themselves that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so there's yeah. a lot of, I think there's a lot of applicable symbolism in that image that you just painted, you know, this uh, kind of looking to the past versus looking to the future. It's like in one, you know, the image that, that you just painted there, it's like on one hand, looking back at like the mistakes of your past or thinking about these broken clovers, this, this trail behind you, but also there's such optimism and positivity when looking forward into the future. And you have the obvious, like, Clovers are such a symbol of luck as well. So there's like, it goes both ways though. And I guess that's where I see like the way I guess I saw it as kind of like potentially just kind of depressing. Like you can flip that around very easily and be like looking like behind you, like the, Oh, like my childhood, there's like this innocence and whatever. And then you turn around and like, Oh shit, this is what's, this is what you're in store for kids. (laughs) Like see all of this stuff, all these like smiles and dreams and rainbows. Like that's that direction. When you turn this way, Bum, bum, bum. Right. Like, <laughs> you just get a field of broken clover. Um, so I don't know. Not not to get too deep into it. It's not like, yeah, this, it's not like it's music for depression or, you know, it's not like it went into it. The name carried, uh, you know, directs the label or anything mm-hmm. like that. But uh, that's that's where it came from. Did you have... Was this something that you'd been thinking about for a long time? Like, how did how did the the label get started, or what what you know what inspired you to to create this entity? I think like any or most music people that I know, um, whether musicians or just avid music fan people that engage with music, you know, beyond just kind of like turning on their radio or turning on, you know some streaming service and putting it on shuffle. Mm-hmm. But people that really engage with music, I think frequently, you know, at a young age, you kind of, you know, start with like mixtapes and start with like music curation of these like little kind of small things for yourself. And then you get a little bit older and your resources get a little bit bigger and you maybe start to like, maybe join a school band or you start to like, maybe, th- you know, put on these little shows at home or, you know, you're, 
your ability to kind of do bigger and more things and want to do more things with music kind of increase. And at a very young age, you know, myself and my friends would start to be like, well, if I had a label, I, you know, I would put out this band or, oh, that band's cool. Yeah, I would put out that band. I would put, have them on my label and then, you know, start to think of like label names or band names. Yeah. You know, these start to kind of put the heart horse before the cart. Um, just because it's exciting to think about, like, oh, if I had this, I would right. do this. Um, but from a very early age, was thinking along the lines of like, yeah, if I had a rock venue or if I had a, a, a music label yeah. or you know whatever, and that's just kind of always how my brain has has worked. Um, thinking like, you know, if, if something inspires me, I go, oh, shit, I want to do that project. I want to yeah. like, I, I have a hard time saying no to stuff, and so mm-hmm. like, that has just after decades of having those thoughts kind of swirl around. Uh, and then again, kind of circling back to the drinking thing, I suddenly found myself with a lot more energy, uh, a lot more focus and drive and kind of putting some stuff, not kind of very much putting things in perspective, realizing what I want to do and the things that I don't want to do, the things that I really want to, sink my time and effort and passion into and the things that I'm not interested in doing that for anymore. Uh, and so something like this was like, like, this is what I need to be doing. Like I, I think about this way too much to not, even if I suck at it, mm-hmm. let's just go do it and suck at it. And then I can just check it off the box. Be like, thank God I never have to do that again. Yeah. Um, because I'm terrible at it. Uh, but, and so I'd had kind of that really knocking around my head and then, uh, one of my counselors, actually, or as I was going through stuff through quitting drinking, um, he had come into money, which is another crazy story, which I'll tell you later. Mm-hmm. But he had come into some money and was like, hey, man, like, and he is also a music person, like we, the way that we clicked. And I think what very much helped with my recovery with drinking um, was that he was a music person and very much got who I was and where I was coming from and like what my interests were, what I wanted to do. And one day he hit me up and I was like, Hey, I've got this money and I'm, I want to do something in music. Would you be interested in, you know, maybe we start a studio or maybe, or maybe we start a label or something. He was just like, I'm, I'm open to ideas. Like, let me know what you think. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> I got a million ideas. Like what? Yeah, I've been like yeah. waiting for this. Like what are you this talking about? Question. Like this is like hold my beer. Like right. okay, ready or yeah. my non-alcoholic beer again. Yeah, but yeah. um and so I started talking with him about it and then I realized though that I didn't feel great. I wouldn't feel great feeling beholden to somebody else. Um I wouldn't feel great just taking their money and doing what I wanted, but I also knew that very quickly I started seeing I'm like no, nope, I want to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I want to do things this way. And there were some things I was willing to compromise on, but other things not. And I would feel weird if I was taking somebody's money to be, I would, I would not feel great about taking somebody's money and not being flexible mm. or on the flip. I wouldn't feel great about compromising kind of what I wanted to do. So I right. think very, I mean, within, within a, the first month of these kind of conversations, I realized that um, it was worth it for me to uh, to do it by myself and just use my money and just you know kind of put all the risk on me mm-hmm. um, to not have to 
kind of navigate those waters of just, you want you wanted creative control it, yeah I th- it was it was both i think it was a pretty even 50-50 of needing my needing it to be my hands steering the ship but also not wanting somebody else to be equally excited about what we were doing and not feel like their voice was being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've been in those shoes and that sucks. And you're like just really feeling and like wanting to contribute and participate and realizing or seeing that like, you know, your contributions are not, you know, being heard for whatever reason mm-hmm. that's shitty. So, you know, with that on top of, if that's the person that's also funding it, like that's not a good look. So, um, yeah. I get it. Yeah. So, and then after I started the label, um, you know, COVID hit in what, 20, March of 2020. Um, and then in September of 2020 is when things came to a head uh, at the booking agency. And so very quickly, I had a conversation with myself of, do you want to continue to be a booking agent? And I said, (laughs) I don't, I mean, I was really on the fence. I was like, I really enjoy the work and I love the people that I work with or work with and for. Um, But it just wasn't, I had not, I'd not really planned on like sinking like, you know, this much kind of into it and starting an agency and really having this be like a bulk of what it is that I was doing. Um, but I, I just I kind of decided that I wasn't going to have somebody else dictate uh, kind of how and when I got kind of left the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, started my agency. Almost all of my artists came with me. And, uh, yeah, here we are. That's awesome. Can you – this is a question that I've I've always had, like, as a, as a musician and as a f- – you know, someone that's got a lot of friends who are musicians. Can you break down for me just exactly what a label is and like what it, what it does, how, what the system is? Um, Cause I think it's a, a word that a lot of people, you know, they have this abstract image of in their minds. They hear bands talk about it. They hear, uh, you know, pieces and, you know, written about it, but like in your, you know, as an insider and in your understanding, like what exit would exactly, is a label, what is its function? Um, how does it, you know, relate in this, this music scene? I think there are probably a few ways to answer that because I think there are labels out there that are doing, offering different things, but at a very core, like just fundamental root level, I would say a label is a company or organization that commits to producing uh, the music of an artist and at least providing or finding uh, a means to sell those physical copies, or I guess these days, digital copies. Uh, It's weird to think labels just do like without the physical side of it, but I guess I'm finding more and more that, there absolutely are those but essentially the label though finds a way to produce the music and have reproduce it in a way that can be distributed 
Um, and then hopefully pays the artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, very, very basic level. Um, what I do, I find artists that make music that moves me or and or the artists themselves, something about them. Um, as much as anything, I feel like I am signing the the art the artists themselves, not just their music. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like sourcing, you know, who I'm going to work with. Sometimes that's them reaching out to me, which I am in a really, really fortunate position now where people are starting to know who, who we are, the, the, who the label is. I've been getting submissions from Switzerland, Italy, um, the Congo and Africa. Um, you see, we've got stuff from Ukraine, Pol- like we, we get, I'm now to a point where people are sending things in from all around the world. That's and awesome. so it's not just me having to source it. So, but finding the music is, is finding the music and the artist is like the first thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, talking with the artists and really kind of figuring out what their goal with, you know, if they agree to work with me or, you know, we agree that there's a good fit, kind of finding what their goal is. Like, do they, they, are they just trying to cash in and just make money on this? And, if that's the case, then we kind of go about making the record in a certain way and kind of just run as lean as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, cut as many, cut, not cutting costs as far as cutting corners, but just, you know, whatever we can do to put out the good product, but maybe it's just we doing more work on our end or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's something, you know, it's really about the art's sake and then, you know, we've kind of, we pivot how we're approaching this and really kind of, put it, you know, try and make this grandiose thing. Or So my, my second step is really kind of talking with the artists and figuring out kind of what, what is our approach on this and, you know, why are, why are we making this record? What is it that you hope to get out of this? Um, once we kind of know what our North Star, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. kind of where we're aiming at, just doing everything we can to get to that point so it's in finding whether it's finding the right mastering person the right studio if it's not already recorded the right visual artist to get to kind of get the point across making sure that we have have all of those things and some artists come to me with like here we here's the thing it's done like just tell me you want it and that you want to give me money and, yeah. then, we're, and then we're like we're done other people are like man I've got this idea and that's all I've got right now mm-hmm. And, and honestly, both, both are fine. I've, I've worked with people where they've come to me with an idea and we've gotten studio time. We've recorded it. We've had to go back and forth and tweak their idea, tweak the recording and really kind of get it to where we want. But we really, we started with nothing. We started with a big square block of clay and ended up getting it in like a circle and then molding it more and more and more until we actually have a thing. Other people give me like their finished masterpiece and it's done. Um, so to getting back to the question, like I am there to kind of on that level be as helpful as I can and be as much of a resource as I can for the artist to be able to kind of execute their vision, um, but not get in the way if uh, if I don't have to or if they don't want me to. So kind of through that whole production process, it's really trying to be a resource for the artist. Like how can I best help you execute your vision mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't bankrupt the label? Yeah. Um, and then once the record's out, 
it's you know doing what we can to keep talking about the record uh, in the run up to the record being out, making sure I'm doing like press outreach, uh, and honestly, part of it I would say is a little bit therapist. Yeah, um, I was going to ask about that. I mean, it's you know managing expectations with artists, uh, financial expectations, exposure expectations. Um, it's I was just talking with somebody the other day. You know, we're hitting the, this year. Actually, will be we are on schedule to actually hit 21 releases um, or, you know, hitting the 21st release this year. And I think any other thing I've done in my life after I do it 21 times, there's kind of like a, you hit your stride. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, Oh cool. Like I'm an old pro with this. Like, and I feel like each of these, like every time it's different somehow, like it just like weird curveballs. I mean, COVID is definitely fuck things with like, production chain stuff just i don't know it's so back to the kind of therapist comment like Mm -hmm. managing expectations is super important because there's i i was not when i first started the label i was not really prepared for that aspect of it but really kind of talking with the artists and making sure that we are walking this tightrope of them feeling special and unique and that they have crafted this just once in a lifetime thing, which these are all true things. It's not like I'm manufacturing these things. Like I'm so getting them to realize this while also at the same time realizing like I need, I have shit I need them to do. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're, you're also kind of, you're special, but you're also fucking not special. Yeah. Like, you, like you, there's basic shit that like mm-hmm. you got to do. And like, that's awesome that we made the record, but like, you're not done there. There's other things, you know? So there's, kind of managing those kind of things and making sure that just everyone is understand everyone understands how important they are to the chain. But with that, like, Holy fuck, I can't do this without you. Mm -hmm. Like you're amazing. But also like, I can't do this without you doing what I need you to do. You're going to be a star kid, but you got responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. You know, making it's, it's, and this goes for folks that I am working with that are putting out, you know, that have been in the game for, you know, however long, you know, 20 something years or, you know, this is their absolute first, you know, thing. There's it's uh, it, there's a lot of management around making sure that folks know how. Yeah. Know, know how important they are and know really truly like value like the contributions that they're giving mm-hmm. but also realize that you know the kind of flip side to that you know it's uh, that there's you know that there, there's kind of more more to it I don't mm-hmm. know I'm, I'm starting to get kind of down the rabbit hole it's on all that, good but, um, it does it like yeah like it doesn't end with you know with the cutting of the album but as an artist and I think that you know the digital age has shown this you know, more than ever, just how much becoming like a independent musician or a musician on a label extends beyond simply recording and releasing your music. Like so many of my music musician friends have had to become self publicists, self bookers, self, you know, uh, and even it sounds like in this context with, you know, with your label, um, there's still, you're providing all these support and services to these artists, but then there is part of that is also empowering them to, you know, 
embrace like a more holistic approach to to being an artist, right? That it's more than just there's there's certainly is part of that, and I guess I as I think about this and kind mm-hmm. of like replaying the words I just said in my head, that is certainly a part of it, but it's not like I I don't want it to sound like every artist I'm having to like kind of hammer these points. Right. It's, right. It's, you yeah. know, it's the the kind of therapist thing. Like that's one aspect of that kind of comment, but there are so many. I mean, I get people like, why isn't there more press about us? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are, do people not like it? Do shit, did we just waste a bunch of time and money? You know, a lot of these things of just kind of keeping after you've worked on something for a long time or, I mean, I've had people be like, is this even good? Mm-hmm. You know, and after you just hear something enough times, you're like, fuck, I've replayed this to myself a thousand times. Oh, like, yeah. I can't even hear anything anymore. Totally. Um, so going back kind of to that, figuring out, you know, during the recording process, like how can I be a resource to you? Mm-hmm. What, you know, I'm, I'm here to be as involved or uninvolved as, as I can, yeah. you know, to, to, so long as I'm being, you know, a, a benefit to you. And I guess that kind of goes to like that communication kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here for as much, like any insecurities or any questions or anything like that that you have, I'm here. Do you, do you assume at times, are you able to step in and assume like that role as like a producer, like where you're giving creative feedback or creative guidance to some of these artists? Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, some folks do not want it. <laughs> um, some folks I thought have wanted it, and I offered it, and then I was gently uh, encouraged to not do so again. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I absolutely do. So, like, I mean, again, the first record that we put out... Uh, these were all songs kind of in a binder that hadn't fully been like kind of flushed out yet. So we, I was in the studio from the day one until the record was done being recorded and absolutely had my hands in that. Um, then fast forward to the 20th release we're going to put out um, from this band called Torpedo in Switzerland. They sent me uh, a finished album, which I just am beside myself. It's so good. Uh, and the art I really, really liked, but just felt like it felt like there was, we would be doing ourselves a disservice to not maybe look at it again and see if there was a little more we could do considering how much, how thoroughly they had worked on the audio side of it. Mm Mm-hmm it felt like it would be unfair to not put that same care into the visual side of it. Yeah. You want it to be representative of all that effort, right? Yeah. And, you know, and really, really kind of show the richness, uh, that the music has. Um, and so, you know, after kind of talking a little bit about it, went back and forth. And so, you know, kind of tinkered with that a little bit. So, Absolutely. From, you know, the first release we've done all the way to, you know, what we're putting out later on this year, there are certainly titles and ones in between that, you know, that I've contributed to some album covers I've actually designed. Um, So again, going back to just that point, I am here, you know, as much as I can be for, you know, for the artists, for for whatever it is that they need. If they're kind of coming with, hey, we've got the music covered, Mm -hmm. but not the visual stuff. I can handle it. If they've got none of it done, you know, I can kind of help with that. If they've got all of it done, I'm happy to kind of sit back as long as it's, you know, kind of meeting 
our general kind of guidelines or our, not the guidelines, but just as long as the quality is there, like mm-hmm. it's not just cool, submit anything and we're good to go. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. getting this image of you also as being kind of this, uh, you know, this nexus of, of, of a web of not just, you know, as a, as a label owner, as, as the head of a label, it's not only the, the artists on your label themselves that you're connecting, but also all these other artists, right? Like you might, I'm sure you have your like album art people that you work with and you have your photographers and you have, you know, like part of that role I would imagine is, you know, you're representing these artists, these musicians. Um, but then you're also connected into a larger network, uh, of kind of like, you know, of other creatives that you can tap to, to, to support um at times is that is that part of your experience as well yeah uh i would definitely say you know as as much as i can i try and kind of work within work within but also ever expand our network i guess so making sure that any of the artists the musical artists that i work with yeah they've got access like that you know i want everybody kind of being inspired by and connected to you know I'll let them know, be like, Hey, I've got these couple visual artists. If you want to work specifically with anybody or, or if they've referred me, um, for, for instance, there is a band that I'm going to be working with or that we're releasing, uh, in, I think in August. Uh, and they brought in a visual artist that's, uh, fairly well known. His name is Dylan McConnell. Mm-hmm. Um, he did an OCs cover. Um, and he's, he's doing a cover for us. Um, and so now I kind of have a relationship with him and he's certainly someone that hopefully I'll be able to use again and kind of be able to tell the other uh, musical artists that I work with, like, hey, here's someone that, you know, that we have access to if we ever need to. So we can kind of like have him now kind of looped in. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Bailey is another visual artist that I recently kind of brought in that hopefully you can kind of start tapping. So there's that on the visual side. Um, and then actually, similarly, I would say on the audio side, as far as who I have do uh, mastering uh, and then some like uh, additional mixing. Um, so I've got a good friend of mine. His name is Mark Brite. Uh, he goes by Dave Ajou, um for his production. Um, but I've, I've been able to recently send some stuff to him to either get a little a little warmth or something like an additional like mix, you know, some love in the mix or I've had him master something. Um, then I have, uh, another guy in Oakland named Jack Shirley do a lot of mastering. So now kind of having these guys that are kind of part of the crew that, you know, the artists know that the musical artists that I work with know that we have these guys kind of available so they can be like, Hey, can we have so-and-so work on it? Can we have so-and-so work on it? Um, so I don't know if that exactly answers your Mm -hmm. question, but I think, you know, certainly, kind of being able to have those connections be there is important. Um, and then also I think from artist to artist, one thing that is incredibly important to me that I've tried to foster as much as I can is this kind of sense of family with the label. Yeah. Like it really just being like a big crew and like any family there, you know, there are certainly, uh, you know, siblings fight, <laughs> but, uh, it's been pretty cool seeing the, other artists like oh crap like oh man i just listened to this other release man these guys are really cool Mm -hmm. and like getting excited about some of the other artists that are on the roster enough so that we actually had one of my san francisco bands uh this band io Mm -hmm. uh the drummer from io kevin woodruff he was traveling to spain 
and was like, hey, man, I'm going to be out there. I would love to meet, uh, you know, some of the Spanish artists that we have. So I actually connected with him with, uh, with Jorge Fuerte um, from Agrio. Okay. And uh, I think he actually might have met David as well. But he definitely met. No, yeah, he met both of them. Yeah, so he, he met the guys from this band Agrio um, that are based out of Madrid. Um, so just the fact that, you know, the artists were even asking and then actually like made it happen like mm-hmm. that, I think, is another aspect of this kind of network that I really like to focus on is really just kind of the human element of it. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of talk about it. It's our, yeah, I guess, official, unofficial, whatever kind of tagline is we make records and give a shit about people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of sums it up like yeah. where I'm here to like get the music out. That mm-hmm. is absolutely thing number one, making sure that like we're putting out fan fucking tastic music. Um, but then on top of that, making sure that we are taking care of each other and looking out for each other. And, you know, whether it's the artists on my label or the vendors that we work with or shops that we sell into or any of the fans or anyone that doesn't have anything to do with the label. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of to that end, uh, we have a campaign that uh, that we do twice a year called the Giving Back Campaign. So, and it's something where I ask all of the each of the artists on the label to submit a nonprofit. Um, either I am looking for ones that are in their kind of region, um, but if not, if there's just something that just generally is important to them, so like Planned Parenthood, for instance, mm-hmm. something that's maybe not region specific, but is just an overall. Um, organization but then so for the months of February and the months of August since we started the label uh, I donate all the labels profits evenly amongst all the profit the non-profits that get submitted Uh, and kind of the thought there is that we're not just making sure the bands get paid Mm -hmm. but kind of fostering these environments that helped the bands come up in the first place and hopefully you know not just benefit the band themselves, but also, you know, kind of next round of bands. So not just looking to make sure that the bands themselves are seeing the financial reward from their, from their records. Um, but also that the communities that they're in that brought them up, uh, are also seeing benefit from it. That's amazing. Um, and also like what a great, um, you know, what a great way as well to, you know, further connect your artists into their communities to connect around uh, this organization and this network of people. Um, It's amazing, you know, the ideas of volunteering resources or time or energy. I I think a lot of people, you know, anyone that's gotten involved in, in, in doing that kind of stuff can speak to like just how much you do get back, you know, you know, in, in so many different ways. And um, I'm curious, like how does, like from a financial aspect, like how does a label sustain itself? Like how does that process work? Because you know, especially in in the modern world, post Spotify era, right? Like where 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 does the you know kind of financial stability come in or sustainability? <laughs> or, you know how how do, how how do you keep? Because I would imagine that there's a lot of kind of when you sign an artist when you're trying to create this work, there's a lot of upfront costs. You're making an investment, you know, with the idea being that 
you know, maybe it's not the next Elvis Presley or something, but you're like going to be, you know, able to keep the system sustainable over the long term. Yes, that is absolutely <laughs> the hope. Yeah. Um, at the rate that I'm going right now, the label is not sustainable. Um, I definitely have, I go about my decisions based on the art. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't make a record that I don't feel comfortable if we didn't sell a single copy. Like I go into everything like, okay, are you prepared to like completely lose this? If, um, you know, if we don't sell a single record, Mm -hmm. we are moving records and it's great. And I, you know, I think we're getting closer to being overall in the, in the black. Um, one of the prop, that's not the right word. One of the challenges to keeping the business profitable. And it's unfortunate. This this is that this is a unique challenge. Um, but it's crazy to me that artists are the last to get paid frequently. And so the model that I have with Broken Clover, um, is, Roughly around the time that records arrive, I try and pay the artists as though everything has sold. So they're basically getting advanced on sales. Wow. Um, that over these past couple years, you know, it's been a little bit harder mm-hmm. to get people to part with their money. It's also a little bit harder to talk about some of the stuff we're doing, you know. It feels a little hollow sometimes being like, buy my awesome record when like people are dying next mm-hmm. to you. And you're like, okay, well, buy my awesome record or talk about like getting people vaccinated or buy my awesome record or talk about make sure you vote Trump out. You know, mm-hmm. it's like with all the fucking chaos we're navigating, it's uh, there. It poses. It throws multiple sticks in our spokes. Um so, yeah, it's been a huge challenge. And also, I mean, just being completely upfront about it, I am not the best marketer. I can talk about the music in the way that, like, it moves me. And I can, you know, but that the people that want, the the way that I talk about it only appeals to a small group of people. <laughs> um, and I also only have access to a kind of a small slice of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm work. That's probably, I think, the thing that I am needing the most help with, and that I am working the most on is like figuring out how to get that exposure. Uh, we've got a pretty good press list that I reach out to to try and get coverage, but there is a record high of new content being made every day. There, I mean, it's something like just some insanely high, like thousands of songs coming out every day. Mm-hmm. So, as a music journalist, like. You know, to try even and figure out what you're going to cover has got to be a tough job. And especially also right now, like people are looking for what's familiar and what's comfortable to them. That's we're seeing trends all mm-hmm. over the place that people, you know, people returning to old music right. and looking at these things. So like music journalists, the adventurous ones will cover new stuff. But so many are kind of covering like the say like they're covering new things, but like the new Bieber album or the yeah, new yeah. Taylor Swift album right. or whatever. Same, same, but different kind of stuff. And, and I'm not trying to like be moaning like they have this like poor me thing, but that's just there are people covering cool shit. There's mm-hmm. just 
there's a lot of shit to cover right now. Yeah. And I also get that like everyone is struggling, so they're doing what they can to just get the readership. Totally. Um, so the label is the label's going to, I mean, the label will stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got basically I, uh, I sold a house in January of 2020 and that was supposed to me go into like me buying somewhere else to live. Mm-hmm. Um, that quickly became the like just savings fund that I lived on during COVID mm-hmm. and what the label was kind of going on. So for better or for worse, the, I'm giving, I'm the label is going to keep going until I don't have any more money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Maria. My girlfriend's probably like, <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, <laughs> no, but you—that's beautiful. I mean, you—I see you. You really believe in this project, and you're putting—you know—it's worth it to you to to put your own resources and your own money up, and that's got to be really inspiring for the artists that you work with. I think that certainly, either on the days where my confidence is flagging, mm-hmm. or on the days where you know, the artists need a little kind of boost. When I think about it, like I do very much believe in what I'm doing. I know that if I discovered our catalog, I would be like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. What? Like these guys have put out like a post-punk album and a jazz record and like a folk record and a techno record and a Mm -hmm. country record. What the shit? Like this is insane. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you guys... Is there a particular constellation of genres that tends to represent your Not thing, or is it very eclectic? Or? It's. I wanted to have. I knew that like, I'm not cool enough to have like the best metal label or the best punk label or the best hip hop label mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Like, I don't have enough of the connections to find those people. I don't know if I necessarily have the time because between running a label and a booking agency and helping with a venue and just having you know, a partner and a daughter and two dogs and, and, you know, my DJ career and just like, I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think there's sleep in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I care. I, I know that what we're doing is important or I don't want to say, I know, I feel very strongly that what we're doing is important. Yeah. Uh, I get told regularly enough that what we're doing is important to the people that are telling me that it feels like there's enough people out there that are finding positivity in what we're doing, whether it's the message behind some of why we're doing stuff Mm -hmm. or the music itself, or they really believe in the artists or what the artists stand for. Um, but I've had enough people tell me that, you know, for whatever reason, something we're doing is connecting with them and bringing them, you know, benefit and pleasure and enjoyment that, uh, it certainly to me means that like, we just got to double down and keep doing what we're doing, not kind of slow down and kind of, Oh, make sure everything's okay. But like this, this is working like, okay, like let's, let's double down and just do it extra yeah um, yeah what what is your process 
for like what is your process like for bringing a new artist onto your label like like how do you decide which band you sign versus maybe which band you don't sign or you know like like is it really just a gut thing like do you have the, is it different every time i'm just i'm trying to get a picture the, of what the process looks like there is the fuck yeah test yeah like i can't put out anything that like doesn't make me go fuck yeah um there's just there are too many good labels out there all kinds of different labels mm-hmm. like there's the right home for every kind of music like any any music out that you that you make there is the right home for it. And so like, I, like if for me, I'm like, if I'm not really feeling it and I can't really get like authentically behind it and like swing from the rooftops, like, yes, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Yeah. Then like, we should like, let's find you another home for it. And I've had yeah. some artists that I really like, I want to like it so much, but it's just <laughs> not, I so saw, you know, try and help them find another for label sure. or something like that. But yeah. The, the the biggest thing for me on my end is absolutely, I got to be feeling it. It doesn't matter if it's sellable. It doesn't matter. No, I take it back. I was about to say, it doesn't matter if it's offensive, but like, I do care. Uh, yeah, I care. I care about it. But yeah, I don't look at it like through the lens of how we can monetize it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it through the lens of like, does it move me? Um, and if it does, that's, that is the core criteria that I need. Um, at that point it's because of everything going on, like time, uh, production times are Mm -hmm. way out of whack. So there are a lot of folks that come to me and like, oh man, this is amazing. But also here are some thing, you know, it's going to take nine months to even get, if everything was ready today, Mm -hmm. we're looking at, you know, maybe nine months turnaround time. Um, I also do stuff a little bit differently around uh, digital distribution. So meaning like when they're going onto like the streaming platforms or mm-hmm. when they're even for sale on like Apple music, we don't put anything up on any of those platforms until nine months after the release date. Okay. Um, so I've had artists where Spotify or Apple music or something like that is really like having it, having the content, the ability to be on like playlists and kind of shared in yeah. that way was really important to the artists. And we just kind of were like, cool, like this sucks. I really want to put out this record, but I get it. This isn't something that I'm willing to be flexible on. Yeah, yeah. And, but you know what? There's other labels that mm-hmm. are doing exactly the same thing I do, but we'll let you do that. So right. go, absolutely, go work with them. Like, you know, I'll even try and like point you in the right direction. Um, so that's kind of the next thing is if someone is, if someone's come to me and they've already expressed interest, I have to kind of be like on board for it. And then mm-hmm. the next round is kind of like, cool, I'm in. And I almost try, I mean, I does like, it work with the, like with, with the system that we've set up? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm free. I'm trying to like sell them out of working with me <laughs> because I've had people where maybe I wasn't as thorough or still kind of caught people off guard or, or mm-hmm. some people were like, well, he's saying no, but maybe it's not that big of a deal. We can still kind of do it, whatever. Um, so I've learned that it behooves me to almost like try and sell people out of it yeah. so that expectations are set very clearly. That's I mean, if, if I can boil down the biggest thing that like I have kind of realized that is helpful to me or the thing that hoses me the most when it's not there mm-hmm. is 
setting clear expectations. Yeah. That just, I can wait. And most of the people I work with, like we can wait for whatever, as long as we know, cool. If it's actually going to be this date, great. Don't tell me it's this thing, mm-hmm. you know, whether we're waiting for something to come in or it's a deadline for something to come out, but just kind of setting clear expectations, uh, is really so is is just so vitally fundamentally sanity saving and important. So where does the music if it's not being put on these streaming platforms for those nine months, where does the music live then? Like where do people have access to so it? Anybody can still access it. So mm-hmm. um, there's the physical format. So a vinyl record. Okay. Um, we don't typically do CDs. I am willing to do CDs if it's something that the artist feels strongly about. Yeah. Absolutely, I'll make them. Um, but it's not anything that we've really messed around with. Um, the exception to that being with June of 44, um, we we licensed that through Poland and through Japan, uh, and both of those, the folks that we licensed with press CDs or made CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other than that, for the, those nine months, um, you can get it digitally, so you can actually get the download. So it is available digitally, mm-hmm. and you can stream it through Bandcamp. Okay. It's just song by song. Gotcha. So actually, yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll go, it'll actually play like through the whole thing. It's just, it's a little bit clunkier of Mm -hmm. a situation and you can't share it. Um, but we absolutely aren't trying to keep music from anybody. Yeah. We want to make it available. So anyone around the world, like as soon as that's released, as long as you've got an internet connection, you can hear the music. Mm -hmm. There's also something though, that's just been lost about that person's like, you know, you show up to a party and you're like, Oh my God, have you guys heard this? Yeah. Instead, you know, have people like, oh, my God, no. How could I? Like, what? This is amazing. Like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, everyone had access to that. As soon as it was out, everyone had like. Right. People have become the sense of entitlement to free and instant access to anything. And not even just music. Fucking just anything. Content. Oh, it's there. I want it should be mine. Right. right. Like, you know, these artists sweated. These engineers, these producers, they put hours in. You know, mm-hmm. these labels have paid out the nose to like yeah. get this thing, and then the fat to have it just be. And it's not even necessarily just like a sales thing, but just like, just give it like some like the appreciation for it when it's mm-hmm. immediately free. It become like, it's unfortunate that people can't still hold the value for it, but the perceived value all of a sudden like. Oh, well, you just gave it to me, so it's now disposable. It right. can now be wallpaper. I'm not yeah. actually like, I'm just going to skip around to the songs I like instead of like put it on and like listen. There's just, there's less, and I hate, I can hear myself and I sound like, get off of my own. <laughs> but, and it, oh God, it makes me No, but I, I feel you. Like, I think that, you know, I'm 34. I'm kind of the last generation that grew up straddling the the, the pre and post internet worlds. And I remember as a kid how valuable a CD was, you know, that it was like how valuable content in general was, mm-hmm. how finding, you know, to me, one of the prime examples was um, the video game Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Mm-hmm. The first one. I don't know if you ever played that one, yeah. but like here was a game where you would spend countless hours playing in the video game already like had unlocked all the levels but you would be striving again and again just to get unlock the secret content of a of a shitty 
480p video of, of a skate trick mm-hmm. of the guy ollieing a five stair or whatever the you know that had this mythology around it because it was very hard to to obtain mm-hmm. and you could only obtain it through playing the game and and there wasn't you know now you can just go look on youtube and find a million of those clips but back then that had so much value yeah. you know i think about the value of those early you know when i was going through my my early classic rock phase listening to zeppelin or listening to you know dark side of the moon pink floyd like that album wouldn't i i i would imbibe those as albums i wouldn't imbibe them as tracks yeah and like to me dark side of the moon there's no way it means the same if you listen to those tracks on a playlist like you just can't really grasp the the power of of the artist's choice at creating these these you know and you can say that about any any album but but even if you don't appreciate you don't even give it the chance right you're just not getting that experience it's i am really i find myself frequently kind of catching myself in that like get off of my lawn you (laughs) damn kids yeah kind of perspective and i'm really like i'm trying to put out music that is at least potentially for everybody Mm -hmm. which requires that i have to like look at things through a perspective that is not just my own and it's really fucking hard as a 45 year old i really want to just be set in my own ways and like i mean i am really set in my own ways and it's hard to look outside of what my own experience has kind of shown me, Mm -hmm. but trying to find, trying to at least put up music that like, it like, God, it sounds, but like kids, just give it a chance. Just like, listen to it from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Like, don't just like go and like "Mm, 30 seconds. Now next song, next song, next song. Like, you know, and I, so I think, I think there is not trying to dictate how people listen to music, but I can at least control what we put out and how we put it out and at least try and lead by example. I guess in a very, very long story, much longer than it needed to be, mm-hmm. that I think is the moral of that story yeah. in that we do a lot of the things differently because I feel strongly about... I care about music and I care about how people engage with it and it saddens me sometimes to see what I consider to be kind of a cheapening of how people engage with it, not giving it the like care that I think is due to it. And so instead of just like being a Facebook warrior and like, no, everybody listen to my opinion. (laughs) I mean, I still do that from time to time, which is embarrassing, but Mm -hmm. like I have found it to be much more valuable and much more effective to try and just lead by example and be like, you know what? If other people aren't doing this, I can maybe people don't even know that there this is an option. Mm-hmm. So you know what? There's gonna be a label that does it until it can't afford to do it anymore. Right. And so trying to show artists that they can and should be paid first, or at least pretty close to first, and show people that there is at least and I'm not the only person to do it. This is not to say that I am like some like, oh my god, look at you know, some unicorn like there yeah, are yeah. there are other labels absolutely doing this um but just showing people like you know yeah like here's a here's a way here's a label that's putting out artists that if you really like this art and that what's what's happening here you've got it you've got to kind of do it along this you know engage with it the way that mm-hmm. we're offering it 
but you'll get to engage with it the way you want at least you know nine months down the road but yeah. just showing folks that you're giving people the option to have a different experience regarding the discovery of music which which i think like we are we're now like a decade into this you know arguably two decades in right if you if you trace it back to even the days of like file sharing and itunes um but just that we're i think we've seen now uh the track or the unit of music get to a place of like peak accessibility and my intuition is that there's a certain amount of time where that will eventually become no longer flashy no longer uh, it's become a status quo and therefore it doesn't quite have the same zing that it did when it first when it was like oh i can have a, a thousand songs in my pocket or oh like i have every song on spotify a tap away i think there's a certain aging process that where that no longer becomes the cutting edge of, of cultural excitement and thus the opportunity opens up for people like yourself to creatively curate a new musical experience that can have roots in in the traditions like it becomes now a value add for people maybe to have to climb the mountain to find the album you know what i mean like that in itself can become a an attractive experience for you know it's unique it's new I think that creative energy continuously shifts. There's a lot of opportunity for, for people being creative, not just in the music itself, but in the packaging and in the customer experience of how they discover it. Right. Yeah. And because, because as a culture, I think, and especially over these last couple of years, we've really lost that sense of self-actualized discovery of art, of music when it's so easy and accessible on the internet, like well, it's just fed to us. Cause like, Oh yeah, you might like this. And so right. I mean, it's on, it's via a feed rather than your own yeah. efforts. I mean, right? everything from Netflix, how, when's the last time you actually looked for the shit past what's on the right? Mm-hmm. Like you just scroll vertically. You don't mm-hmm. even like, it's like, Oh, things you might like. There's only five, right? Like there's a bazillion more. <laughs> if you keep going that way, you're like, Nope, <laughs> there's nothing I like. <laughs> nope. There's only five comedies, only five horror movies. Nope. Whatever. Right. Okay. I guess I'm gonna go look at something else. Like, uh-huh. unless it's like put like right in our mouth or in our eyes or in our fucking nose or ears, like half the time we're like, nah, that's a little too much work. Right. So I, you know, I would like to think that, uh, Things will kind of turn, but especially right now, again, people kind of going towards what's comfortable and what's familiar mm-hmm. and like with so much fucking chaos going on, it makes sense that people are turning towards like what's familiar mm-hmm. and like not looking for anything that's new or unpredictable or yeah. whatever. We're looking for patterns. We're looking for the things that we're like, I know what this is. There is not a line on the horizon. Safe and familiar. You know, so uh, now is probably, you know, I don't know if it's the the uh, you know either the best or the worst time to be doing what I'm doing, um, and I guess that'll just remain to be seen. I'm gonna keep doing it, but yeah. uh, it's a good that's a good balance to be operating inside of, you know. <laughs> you know, good good or bad, you know, whether, whether, you can remove the hierarchy. Whether it's good or bad, I, it's just where where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> it's where what I'm gonna keep doing. But uh, so I guess I'll tell myself it's it's the it's the good place or the right place to be, but it's just, it's just where I'm at. So that's, that's amazing. Um, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. Well, I know you, uh, we're getting close to your time. Um, 
but I just uh, for people that you know may that may not be familiar with your label, like what is the best way for people that are listening and watching this to uh, to discover the music on your label and to interact with the label itself? Um, the best, yeah, the best way to engage with our artists and with the label, I would say, is through Bandcamp. Um, Bandcamp has been a wonderful platform, uh, really enabling folks to just have a little bit of a direct relationship with fans, um, being able to sell directly to fans. And especially right now with, you know, people not really going to record shops as much and just Mm -hmm. that, you know, everything we're dealing with with COVID, being able to have that kind of direct channel directly to, to fans is great. Um, so yeah, right now, you know, I would say for, uh, for Broken Clover, the best way to, to engage with our music is through Bandcamp. Um, do you guys do e-commerce through there? Yeah, so every, yeah, everything can be. Sorry, I kind of just spaced out. No worries. Um, <laughs> yeah, everything. Uh, all all of our current releases are all are all on there. Um, all the transactions happen can happen directly in there. Um, so yeah, so Bandcamp is the best way to uh, to be able to purchase and you know kind of learn about the artist that has each artist's individual pages, but all of the artists are then on our label page. So you can kind of look at our label page and see what our roster looks like. Gotcha. Um, or then you can click on each artist and kind of, I mean, if you've got days to kill, you yeah. can really go down the rabbit hole. I clicked a, Yeah. I clicked around yesterday and was kind of exploring in that space. And that's also where, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where the music lives for those nine months before it goes yep. out to the streaming service. Exactly. So that's where you would be able to, you know, stream each song, um, and again, purchase during those nine months. Um, yeah. And it's all everyone that you're, that is on your label, you're pressing to vinyl. Is that yep. correct as well? That is correct. Yep. So for all you vinyl levels at lovers out there, uh, that's, that's a pretty awesome, uh, function of this as well. And, um, and if people want to get in touch with you, is there, a, how can people find you like personally? Is there, yeah. A good... So, uh, I've got a Facebook page as well. Um, you can search broken clover records and you can either message me directly. My email address is also listed on there. Okay. I'm not shy about talking with people. I think it might even have my phone number. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm easy to get a hold of. So you can find me on the Broken Clover page. I'm also uh, run Ivy Agency, the booking agency. That's got an email address, and I'm pretty sure that has my phone number. My personal, you know, I, I'm <laughs> you're findable. I'm easy to find. Cool. Um, yeah. um, and last thing is there are there any upcoming events or releases that that uh, you want to point people towards? Yes. Um, so February 14th, as I mentioned, um, we have got Carlton Melton. Um, dropping a new release. Carlton Melton is a local uh, heavy psych band. They're kind of like, imagine like a real like stonier version of like Earthless. Um, that is dropping, yeah, February 14th. Um, and then later, a little later in the year, I'd say the next release is Secret Empty Society. And they're a queer country group from Oakland. Um, so yeah, going from like a heavy psych record into a like real twangy country record. Um, and then, uh, I guess right after that is, uh, Fulu Collective. Um, they are a collective out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and this is going to be, it's an electronic record and, I don't even really know how to talk about it. Like it's <laughs> rhythms that I don't understand or that, you know, that are not that I don't hear regularly. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
sounds that are different. I mean, it's very, it's familiar enough and that I can like, I have a frame of reference for it just yeah. from my background in electronic music, but it's also, it's unlike anything I've ever heard. So, um, those are the next three coming out and, uh, yeah. Killer. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you giving me your time and talking about your journey and your experience and all y'all go check out broken clover records and all those releases, the, the news and dates can be found on the Facebook and on the band camp. Yep. Yep. Okay. Everything's awesome. on there. And um, yeah, man, it's been great chatting with you. Super good to catch up. Hell yeah, man. We'll be well. Thanks man. All right. There we go. There you have it. Um, pretty cool stuff. Uh, just a little bit of, of housekeeping here at the end. Um, last month, uh, or this month, I mean, last week, my, me and my friend Eli, uh, started a YouTube channel for a new show we're going to be putting out called Gummy Boys. It's a, uh, it's a YouTube review series or review channel, um, you know, appreciating life and culture, uh, through the, through the lens of gummy appreciation. So it's going to be a, a video project. Um, kind of a satire of the traditional YouTube review. And, uh, so we're deep in the creative space of that. We had a really amazing shoot, uh, uh, last week, last Thursday. And it was really cool for me to get to put on the producer hat, um, and, and play around with that. I actually really enjoy producing, uh, and, and then also getting to, to actually move out in front of the camera and and play around with being talent was also a total blast and something that I will be exploring more of in the time to come. So keep an eye out. I'll definitely be making a big announcement when we're ready to launch the pilot episode. Uh, but yeah, more good things down the road. And uh, once again, many, many thanks to Mickey for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, all, all of you out there, go check out Broken Clover Records. Uh, peep the music. And hopefully you find something that you love on there. Uh, Until next time, be well, my friends.